It's the end of the world as we know it, and I feel fine. That crazy starts with an earthquake, birds, snakes, and aeroplanes. Yeah. Many fruits are not afraid. I have a machine, listen to yourself, the world, but it don't need something to your own head. Beat it up and I've seen got no seats. The ladder from the platter with the fear fight down. Like fire in a fire, with the system of the gang, the government for hiring the combat site. But you wasn't coming in a hurry, but you're eating it down your neck. Welcome to the Doom and Bloom Hour with medical preparedness experts, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. Your source for information on how to succeed if everything else fails. And now, your hosts, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. This is the hour of doom. That's a lot of doom. You know what that sounded like? That sounded like a bomb falling. (laughs) (laughs) Which will not happen. Which hopefully will will not not happen. happen Because this is also the hour of bloom. (laughs) That's right. Positive thinking. All the little flowers blooming. Proactive and positive thinking hour. That's what we should call it. The pro, <laughs> well, proactive and positive thinking, thinking hour. Probiotic. No, uh, no, no. Organic hour. Oh, hey. I believe in probiotics. Well, good for you. <laughs> hey, friends and neighbors, welcome to the Doom and Bloom Survival Medicine Hour, a short second of serenity in a seditious world. <laughs> I'm Joel Nimdy, also known as Dr. Bones of doomandbloom.net, where you'll find over 990... That's how close we are to a thousand posts, bum, 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 bum. videos, right, <laughs> and post- podcasts on medical preparedness for any disaster. Yeah, for doodles. And you are? Oh, I'm Amy Alton. I'm an advanced registered nurse practitioner and a certified nurse midwife. That's right, and we are the prodigious pair. The guys will get you there. If you're trying to keep it together, that is, even if everything else falls apart. We should definitely be called the productive pair. Oh, yeah. Well, we are producing content. Oh, man. Right and left. I think I've put up three videos in the past seven days. My gosh. I know. That is a lot of videos. Well, I hope you will check out our video. Well, we'll talk to you about our video channel, our YouTube channel in just a minute. But I do want to say first, Mm -hmm. we have a... Uh, a sponsor, and that is yes, our Who attorney, our attorney, friends and neighbors. Have you been injured <laughs> in an accident with a scurrilous skunk? Our attorney says, don't call me, call Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy, and listen to this. All right, wait, what is scurrilous? Scurrilous, if you're scurrilous, it Sounds means like you you're are... Sounds scur- like scurrying, but it's It does sound like that, doesn't, doesn't it? But scurrilous just means that you are without morality, essentially. Oh, well, that's a bad skunk. At least I'm... That's a bad skunk. That's right. (laughs) Anyway, all information given and opinions voiced on Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy's Survival Medicine Hour are for entertainment, obviously, purposes only, and do not represent medical advice 
for anything other than post-apocalyptic settings. No contract or provider-patient relationship exists or is implied between the host and listeners. Dr. Bones and Narsamy strongly urge their audience to seek modern and standard medical care whenever and wherever it is available. That's right, but in times of trouble when you might be the highest asset left to your family, what do you do? Well, you know what you do? You show the world you got more sense than a suitcase full of squirrels. That's what, by learning what to do for injuries, for illnesses, and all sorts of terrible stuff when the ambulance is not on the way. And when you're at it, get some supplies and a medical kit to go along with all that knowledge. And what better place to get it than the lovely Nurse Amy's entire line of often imitated, never equaled medical kits at store.doomandbloom.net. They'll help you handle medical issues you'll face in tough times, and are designed by yours truly, an MD, and hers truly, an advanced <laughs> registered nurse practitioner. With, I would like to say, the highest customer service available. I had someone who yesterday, she, poor thing, and she listens, by the way. Hi. I'm not going to say her name. Um, she had to cancel an order. For some reason, I didn't ask her why. But my office manager had ran that order over within 10 minutes of her ordering it it was already shipped oh my god i know that's the i'm really we we really get them out mess around we don't mess around you need the stuff you get it right away what we did was we went back to the post office and thankfully no offense to anyone who works for the post office they weren't very efficient that day (laughs) it had been about uh an hour since it had been sitting at the office or at the post office and it was there. It was right there. So right. he snatched it and walked out. Now, the funny thing is the post office didn't say anything. Yeah. <laughs> so, so it was like we dropped stuff off and then we came and picked something up. They didn't say a word. That's not very reassuring, is it? <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. But anyway, that's customer service for you. We immediately. Pride ourselves on it. Yes. Absolutely- quick and efficient. If humanly possible, I want to make sure you have the highest customer service possible. And that's why I always say and that personal. you can, And personal. And personal. They can call the, the service, and if they can't help you, they'll leave a message for me, and I personally will get back to you. That's right. Unless they need to speak to a doctor, and then we'll get, you have to talked to people also and oh, answer yeah, questions. Oh, yeah, of course. Of course. So and happy, we're there for you guys. And happy to do it. Absolutely. And that's why I say you can compare our kits for contents, quality, costs, and customer service with anybody else's stuff. Just ask anybody who's ever bought one, and you'll agree our kits are the ones you should have in your medical storage. Hey, what's cooking, Cookie? We <laughs> learn as much from you as you do from us, obviously much more. So why not connect with us? It's so easy. Here's a lovely nurse Amy to tell you how. Well, the easiest way is to email drbonespodcast at aol.com. If for some reason you don't find that we answer you, it could be that somehow it got put into a, a spam file that we just never saw. So there's a contact form. Happen, I just want yeah. to give people an alternative. There's a contact form, easy to fill out, on doomandbloom.net. Those go to us for sure. They don't get blocked. So if you find that you've tried to ask us something or tell us something and it just seems like we're not answering, please use the contact form. We definitely get those. I don't always answer them because 
sometimes it's just sales pitches. Yeah. <laughs> uh, here, you have won the lottery from another country, but you must pay a million dollars in taxes. To a Nigerian prince. Right. Please please contact us immediately. So I won't answer those, but pretty much everyone else. So that's email and contact. We have Twitter, which is at Prepper Show, and I'm trying to be more active. I actually put up a grooming tip last night. I know it doesn't sound like it has anything to do with health, but it's interesting, these little things that I find, because they're like life hacks. When you have little tidbits that, yeah. of knowledge that well, this you can little find, thing, nugget, nuggets of knowledge. Yeah, this, this little thing I'll sure. share is uh, if you have lip balm, you can use that to groom out-of-control mustache Hairs, right? You can or make a wi- those it. wild eyebrow hairs uh-huh. that well, we get. Us old folks keep get. them, keep them that's in right. order. In order, good for or you. Or just women want them to be a certain shape, and they don't always grow that way. So you can use a little lip balm. All right, good to know. Simple, yes. Good to know. So anyway, I do uh, life helpful hacks, hint. helpful hints, health hacks, and health tips. And where else can they find us? Facebook. I want people. If you're going to do Facebook, do Doom and Bloom Facebook. Dot com forward slash doom and bloom. Yeah, we have a number of pages. I do, but you know what? Let's just focus on doom and bloom. If you want to join our group and ch- chat with other people who are interested in survival medicine and interact, then you can join our Facebook group, Dr. Bones, Survival Medicine, Dr. Bones, and Nurse Amy. And I think that's everything. We do have Pinterest. Right? We have Pinterest, so that's Doom and so, Bloom. You can find that under yeah, Doom and Bloom Yeah, we can do Doom also. and Bloom, that sure. one. Sure. And don't forget our YouTube channel at DR Bones Nurse Amy. That's Active awesome. YouTube channel now, yes, I, I'm right. happy to say, instead of once a month yep. or once every two weeks, if exactly. we were lucky, we're, wow, like I said, exactly. three. And, and you guys out there can really do us a favor by following us on our various Facebook and YouTube and you subscribe, Twitter. Like, it's called subscribing yes. on YouTube. Yes, exactly. So <laughs> I'll say follow for all of the follow all of easy. our various options. I know they all have their own little words right. that they use. And and our website at doomandbloom.net. Well, you know what? North Korea has been stomping around, unfortunately, or for them, and fortunately for us, that is last week's news. But you know what? Although many people don't view a nuclear event as a likely disaster scenario, today at least for Mm -hmm. for the time being, it's important to know about all the important issues, about all the possible issues that can impact your family at uncertain times. So given the general instability of the world today, the issue of nuclear blasts and their effects is something you might want to know a little bit about. You know, I talked about radiation sickness last week, but that. I did really give you the actual official definition, which was my fault. And the the quick definition of radiation is energy given off by unstable matter in the form of high-speed particles. Now, if if you're like me and it's been a while since you picked up a chemistry book, well, here's some basics. Paraphrase from the U.S. Nuclear Regulatory Commission, the U.S. NRC. All matter, all matter in the universe, including you, yeah, is composed of atoms. Atoms are made up of various parts. They have a central nucleus, which contains minute particles that are called protons and neutrons, and the atom's outer shell contains other particles called electrons. The nucleus has a positive electrical charge because of its proton, and um, the electrons have a negative electrical charge, and neutrons are, well, Neutral. Um, neutral, right. Exactly. At least they made that one easy. Easy, right. Gotcha. 
Now, these entities work within the atom toward a stable balance by getting rid of excess atomic energy. That's called, that's, we call that radioactivity. And uns, let's face it, unstable nuclei want to become stable, right? And what they do is they emit energy to do that. And this emission of energy is what we call radiation. Now, until the recent missile launches by North Korea, most people were concerned mostly about the use of dirty bombs by terrorists. So what's a dirty bomb? There really haven't been a lot of attacks like this. And honestly, it really shouldn't be a discussion on, uh, shouldn't be part of a discussion on nuclear weapons. And here's why. A dirty bomb actually uses conventional explosives to disperse radioactive material in the general area. Well, I I just want to say something. I think a lot of times when we hear dirty bomb, it sounds like it's just a mixture of a bunch of junk. And I think it's, for the most part, it, it is. Well, it could be a very nice bomb, well, but what conventional I mean, bomb in which you just tape a bunch of radioactive waste, I guess. Mm-hmm. But what I'm saying is, you know, I think a lot of people see that definition. The official definition is that it has some radiation in it uh, mixed with other stuff. But in my mind, I was always thinking that dirty bomb just meant a bunch of junk. You know, BBs and, and uh, let's see, nails and pieces of glass and just like random shards of things that would tear through flesh. Uh-huh. No, actually that is a, however, that has a name that's canister in Civil War terms, in which they used to put ball bearings and other items in a canister, essentially, that they would shoot off. And when they shot it off, it was like a shotgun blast with all these bits of material flying, flying out in a cloud. Well, isn't that kind of what the Boston bombers did? They did that yes. pressure cooker yeah, yeah, and they with a bunch of junk in nails, it. So it tore through yeah. legs and arms. Yes. And a lot of people, of course, lost their lives. But Bleeding, a sure. lot of limbs were lost because it just ripped through. Exactly. And severe, severe bleeding. Right. Well, the, the effect of the explosion in a nuclear bomb I mean, in a dirty, dirty bomb, bomb, actually causes a lot more damage and casualties than any radioactive element that happens to be in it. Because you can't control the dispersal of it. It's usually very low-grade stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like I said, maybe radioactive waste. And the amount of radiation or amount of damage, really, that's caused by the radiation itself is probably Minimal. dwarfed uh, by, the, by the explosion. Just ripping, right. The, ex- the ripping, the tearing... Exactly. Injuries, traumatic injuries that occurred. Exactly. Now, our concept of an atomic bomb, as developed by the Manhattan Project in the 1940s, is one that uses a uh, process called nuclear fission. And the the explosion in a nuclear fission bomb, an atomic bomb, is caused by a chain reaction that actually splits atomic nuclei. And when it does that, the, the result is a wave of this intense heat, light, pressure, kinetic energy, equaling thousands of tons of dynamite of TNT, also known as kilotons of TNT. And this is followed by the release of radioactive particles in a cloud that resembles a mushroom. Now, the mushroom cloud only occurs if there's an, a ground blast. So you only so get that So if it's one if, of those right. that are set off in the air it would to not cause look a like, wide it look more area. like a fireball. Right. Okay. Now, this mushroom cloud is mixed with all this dirt and debris that the explosion kicked Brought up. up. sure. And the particles, when they fall back to Earth, are mixed with all these radioactive elements. And 
as a result, they contaminate crops and animals and people. I think that was a big problem in Japan is they were worried about because they grow a lot of food. Yes. You know, there's a lot of people, but they grow a lot of, you know, fresh foods there and have a lot of um, animals right. that well, they eat. Well, and the that good, was a big concern. The good thing, though, is that the prevailing wind, winds didn't really blow through the rest of the the entire rest of the island right. or country. It actually sort of blew west towards, over the ocean towards the west coast of the United California, States. For California. Yes, exactly. And indeed, radioactive iodine was detected in California in the year after with within the year after. As a matter of fact, even further in than So just that the west was a coast. real danger. That was an an actual so that is recent event that they were worried about. And then they were worried about fish and seaweed, because a lot affected, of people sure. eat kelp yep. and have seaweed uh, salads. Do a lot of people eat kelp? Oh, my gosh. Yeah. That doesn't look seaweed edible sal- to me. Oh, yeah. They dry it for um, herbal supplements. Yeah, it's rich in a lot of minerals. Wow. Okay. I actually had some, or I might still have it. Oh, that's interesting. Okay. <laughs> uh, you have to show Obviously, it to me I later. didn't share it with you. You didn't share it to me that I'm buy- you're buying You would have been like, what? <laughs> You'll have to look at kelp futures. You know, if we have some time, we should probably talk about how to view the eclipse when you're, if we'll you finish a, this okay, a little we'll earlier. To. All right. Well, anyhow. So we have atomic bombs. Now, they yeah. gave way to hydrogen bombs, and these are best described as thermonuclear weapons, not just nuclear weapons, because uh, they generate this extreme heat during detonation. And H-bombs use a process known as nuclear fusion, not nu- nuclear fission, nuclear fusion, and that takes two nuclei, two very light nuclei, and forms a heavier one using variations of hydrogen atoms called isotopes. They make uh, These isotopes are called deuterium, and tritium are a couple of a couple of names of the isotopes. Mm-hmm. And so this whole process of fusion requires very high temperatures, so high that you actually have to ignite them with a nuclear fission reaction, like an atomic bomb detonation, just to get them to start. And so once they get started, though, they don't generate power just in the kilotons. Mm-hmm. They generate levels in the megatons. That's millions of tons that is of TNT. That is so scary. Now, of course, as you can imagine, the amount of damage that occurs from that is terrible. What about tactical nuclear weapons where you just want to kill, let's say, this tank formation or this army that's coming at you, Mm -hmm. but you don't necessarily want to destroy the the entire country or, you know, the infrastructure? Right. Buildings. Exactly. Exactly right. So. There is another type of nuclear thermonuclear weapon called a neutron bomb. And what that does is it concentrates more on on generation of radiation and generates much less kinetic energy and thermal damage, heat damage, much more radiation. And that's called an enhanced radiation weapon, an ERW. And the neutron bomb generates basically a fusion reaction that allows neutrons to escape the weapon or the, Mm -hmm. the nuclei without putting together a really, really terrible blast. I mean, I'm sure it's a significant blast, but it's not anything like a hydrogen bomb or even an atomic bomb. It was originally designed by the United States to counter massive Soviet tank formations. They had our tank, uh, numbers of tanks in, in our that we produced mm-hmm. or that NATO had by a factor of like 10, I think. And so... They needed to counter all these massive tank formations, and neutral. So the neutron bomb was thought of as a tactical nuclear weapon, 
at, with an effect of leaving infrastructure mostly intact while wiping out human the targets living. inside those tanks. Right. For and example. whatever else was living around there. Right. Due to massive radiation. Sure. Now, the impact of a nuclear bomb, oh, by the way, it is called, it is pronounced nuclear, not nuclear, like President Bush and <laughs> always called, always called it a nucle, nuclear bomb. It's a nuclear, nuclear. bomb. Nuclear. Nuclear, right. <laughs> now, the impact of a nuclear bomb is dependent on its yield. Now, the yield is, the yield is the measure of the amount of energy that's produced by the bomb. The Hiroshima atomic bomb had a yield of about 15 kilotons, 15,000 tons of TNT, while the largest bomb that was ever detonated uh, was detonated by the Russians in 1961. It had a yield of 51 megatons. That is 51,000 kilotons or 51 million insane. tons or 51 million tons of TNT. Oh. It, it called it the Tsar Bomba. As you know, the Russian king was called the, the Tsar. And so basically, I guess it was the king of all bombs. And uh, most of our weapons aren't in that range. Most of the weapons stockpile of the U.S. and Russia consists of bombs in the 100 to 500 kiloton range. Probably the North Koreans have even smaller weapons than that, but... All of these are much stronger than Hiroshima, much weaker than Zarabamba, certainly, but much stronger than Hiroshima. And this is because they're meant to be fired at major cities and clusters rather than one large bomb. Uh, it would probably be easier to intercept a large, single, megaton type of bomb like Zarabamba than it would to take 100, uh, let's say 20, 100 megaton, uh, I'm sorry, 100 kiloton bombs. 2,000 kiloton bombs and wind up getting all 20 of them, inter intercepting them with our missile defense system, it's likely one or two will get through, I would think. Now, damage is caused by blast effects, kinetic energy, that's damage due to the explosion and resulting shockwave, heat, damage generated by extreme heat, radiation. Initially, initially in the first minute or so, there's a huge amount of radiation. And, of course, then there's fallout. Fallout is something that is uh, occurs later on with the dirt and debris as it starts coming down to Earth. And of course, there is always the electromagnetic pulses, which are, which is a common prepper concern, where the uh, this huge this wave of electromagnetic energy disrupts telecommunications and infrastructure. Now you can generally expect a circular pattern of local damage. There are a lot of factors that come into play, though, besides the yield of the weapon. Uh, the altitude of the explosion is one. The, the weather conditions, believe it or not, if, it rain, if it's raining, actually it makes a difference. Wind conditions make a big difference, especially as to where it goes after the explosion. And nearby geologic features play a role. If I had to, ha if I could choose a geologic feature, I'd want Mount Everest between me and a <laughs> nuclear bomb. I would think. Or wait. Mm. The Grand Canyon, so it just drops in there, oh, and then into you're far the new, away. Yes, all the way in there. Yeah. Right, just put it in a big hole and be way far away. That's not a bad idea. See? Now, the U.S. government estimates the distribution of damage for fission bombs, typical atomic bombs like the one in Hiroshima, <clears throat> to be distributed as 50% shockwave, 35% heat, 5% initial blast radiation, and 10% fallout radiation. As you see, the... The minority of the damage is actually called by, caused by radiation. It's mostly caused by the actual destructive blast and thermal effects. 
I would assume that uh, hydrogen bombs as a thermonuclear weapon would have a higher percentage of heat damage. That does make sense to me. Right. And nuclear neutron bombs with, as they're called, enhanced radiation weapons, you would think right. they'd have a higher percentage of radiation damage than a standard fission bomb for which those percentages... Makes perfect sense, honey. Right. Now, the atom bomb that was dropped on Hiroshima... In 1945, that flattened buildings over a roughly four-mile square area. It killed about 60,000 people immediately. It was a very condensed, crowded city. Right. And over the course of time, another 90,000 to 140,000 people succumbed later to injuries and radiation exposure. Now, this represents a total of maybe 150,000, 200,000 fatalities. Well, guess what? The population of Hiroshima was about 350,000 people. So it didn't kill everybody, right? amazingly enough. And, you know, it shows that although it's horrific in its effects, if you have some distance from ground zero and some other factors involved. There is they, a potential that you can survive, and you got to get out of Dodge. Exactly right. ASAP. Exactly right. So, uh, oh, I want to just mention this about the Tsar Bomba, the 50 megaton H-bomb that the Russians detonated in Me, a test. Oh, yeah, megaton, right. Right. That had a much larger circle of devastation than the Hiroshima bomb. It had, it would have caused widespread fatalities at least 20 miles from ground zero instead of just maybe a half or a mile That's from huge, ground zero. Huge. And third-degree burns even 50 miles away. If you're 50 miles away wow. from Tsar Bomba, you would still have third-degree burns. Think about this. How wide is our southern Florida peninsula? They, it's about 80 miles to get across yes. Alligator Alley. We're about 20, 18 to 18, 20 miles, right. so that's 100. And then at the end of Alligator Alley, it's, what do you figure, another, yeah, another 10? 10. Maybe it's 110, 110 miles. 110 miles wide. Right. The whole peninsula of South right. Florida. Exactly. Now, but that's the we thing. We wouldn't have any place to go if it landed right in the middle. Yeah, we if it landed right in the middle, we would have to be as close to the shore as possible. We have to get a boat and yeah, get out of get here. Out, get out of there. It is pretty amazing. But, that's but scary. That's third-degree burns <clears throat> 50 miles away. Right. The windows were reported shattered from, from the detonation as far away as Norway and Finland. It was uh, detonated north of the Arctic Circle. That is really far away so to have windows shatter. I know. Let's talk a little bit about the types of radiation that occur in nuclear blasts. Uh, radiation is divided into ionizing and non-ionizing radiation. We're bombarded daily by radiation from non-ionizing sources, the visible light of the sun, uh, microwaves, radio waves, radar, things like that. And this type of radiation deposits energies into the materials through which it passes. It deposits light on you. The sun deposits light on you, essentially. Light energy can cause even a sunburn but it doesn't really break molecular bonds or destabilize atoms. These effects, however, can be caused by ionizing radiation, where the atom does become charged and unstable, of course, a very unhealthy state for living cells. Now, there are several types of radiation that are given off by a nuclear weapon, alpha, beta, and neutron particles, and gamma and X-rays. In other words, there's particles and there's rays or waves, and Basically, the particles have some mass and some weight associated with them. The waves do not. Now, all of these, however, are caused by unstable atoms, which in order to reach a stable state, they have to release energy in the form of radiation. And they do this oftentimes by shedding electrons, which cause, if you shed, if you're a stable particle, you shed your negative um, particle, which is an electron, well, then you are charged. You have a positive 
charge and mm -hmm. you become ionized. Now, alpha radiation occurs when an atom undergoes radioactive decay, giving off this alpha particle. And due to their charge and mass, alpha particles can only travel a few centimeters, and they don't even penetrate the outer layer of skin. You could wear, if you're just wearing your skin, essentially. I like to wear my skin. Yes. <laughs> so you're saying you're safe I'm, from alpha particles. If I'm nude, I'm okay. Right. You would be. You actually be. You could be out there and actually nude if there was just an alpha so particle. So the nudist camp event. camps are still safe. Right. Okay. Now the problem is if know. you ingested it, if you inhaled it or you, it was somehow injected into you, alpha particles indeed can cause considerable damage to living cells, Inside. could kill you. Sure. Now, beta waves or beta radiation also is very similar. It also takes the form of particles, but they have a smaller mass, so they travel further in air than an alpha particle, but they still can be stopped by, let's say, a stack of paper. If you had a stack of papers in your hands, mm -hmm. you would have protection like from our the block. beta waves. Right? Like our, if you had our, the survival medicine handbook in your hand, that area of your body that is between... That, that the book is between that and whatever the source so of the beta waves are. You would need a lot of books. You would need a lot of books. You need a lot to be in the library. Okay. So Good even, point. But, Good but point. even But even clothing or, or some plastic can do it too. It penetrates a short distance into skin that's exposed. If you have skin that's exposed, it can penetrate a short distance, causing something called a beta burn. Mm -hmm. A beta burn is very similar to uh, a, a sunburn, which may indeed require treatment. The main threat still is from ingesting this, perhaps from crops that are growing in areas where this radioactive uh, beta particles have fallen out or right. fall, has fallout. Then there are gamma rays and X-rays. And unlike alpha or beta, these are two types of radiations that don't consist of any particles whatsoever, but instead pure electromagnetic energy. Uh, I would think of gamma rays as X-rays on steroids. Gotcha. Essentially. And you know it's not good to have a lot of X-rays. No. Gamma radiation can travel much farther through air than alpha or beta particles. Why? Because alpha and beta particles have a weight. They have mass, right? But gamma radiation is a wave. It does not. And as a result, gamma radiation is responsible for most ill effects on humans after a nuclear explosion. It can, however, be blocked by various materials, and the thickness required for each material depends on its density. We talked about that last week. So, you know, if you go to last week's... Uh, podcast, you'll know that lead has a certain thickness that will uh, Stop block. Stop it in its tracks, right? Yes, and and that thickness and is... And concrete right, and right. wood, wood, and you put and, all of those, and you right, did even have Even soil it. and water right. have some protective effect. Now, the neutron radiation, the last radiation we're going to talk about, although there's lots of different types, neutron radiation consists of high-speed particles with very high penetrating power. So these neutron particles travel further in air than any other form of radiation, but they can be blocked by materials that contain hydrogen, interestingly enough. So water, in other words, if you did a nuclear, uh, explode a nuclear bomb, nu nuclear bomb, that is a neutron-based bomb, mm -hmm. near, uh, let's say, over the water where a submarine was, you would probably not be able to get to the some submariners right if they they're would be deep protect, enough. protected yeah. by the layer of water between right. them and exactly the, if they're deep enough up above now concrete also uses water you, you right. use water you to mix, make concrete so anyone seen you how you make concrete absolutely so, right so concrete is another w way that you can protect yourself from neutron radiation 
Now, when the neutron particles are absorbed into a stable atom, they do something very unusual. They make it unstable. And as a result, it, whatever they absorbed, absorbs these, this neutron radiation, actually is more likely to emit radiation itself. Therefore, neutron radiation is the only type that we've talked about today that can turn other materials radioactive. All right, I'm going to give your voice a break. Here's some water. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I'm actually going to f- flip us over to uh, the eclipse for a moment. Okay. Um, because, I, I, you know, as a health show and survival, I'm very concerned about people's eyes. And I think there's not been a lot of news um, because there's been so much stuff happening that have warned people. And I believe there's 14 states that this eclipse on Monday, August 21st, 2017, if you're listening to this afterwards, you missed it. But those of you who are listening to this this weekend, there will be a total solar eclipse to travel across the entire United States. It's the first one since 1918. So there's probably not too many people that were even born at the time that the last one went across the United States. What year was that again? 1918. Wow. Yeah. So there uh, might be some 99 or 100-year-olds, but um, they're not going to remember it. <laughs> <laughs> they may not remember now, much of anything. if you're 114, you might have a vague memory of right. it if your parents uh, let you look at it. But this is important. This can make you blind, folks. You cannot take sunglasses or, or anything that you think you can make at home and look up at the sun. It will fry your retina. You will not feel it. And you can have permanent damage to the retina after looking at the sun for just seconds. Now, this is supposed to last, I think it's around 2.30 Eastern time during the day on Monday. So it's going to be full sun as this starts to happen. So people who are watching it go across and become fully dark... You're going to have, other than the, the few seconds where there's absolutely no sun that you can see whatsoever, you can get damaged. You won't feel it. You won't know it. And what will happen afterwards with you staring up there is you're going to have blind spots in your eye, black spots. And guess what? There is no medication. There's nothing to repair it, and it will not regrow itself. So you have to have certain kinds of glasses. There are special glasses. We have them. I have them in my hand right now here. Those are our glasses. Um, you need to get these. I've heard there are libraries giving them out. Our, li- our local library actually has them, but they would not give them to us because they said they were only they were hoarding them. They didn't use that word, by the way, for the people who were showing up at the library on the day. So they weren't giving them out to the public, even though we paid for them because it's tax money. So I had to buy them on Amazon, and they have grown quite expensive. I did order mine last week. I don't even know if you can still get them. So uh, try your municipalities. Call your city. um, Find out if they're giving glasses out. And if they're not, you can't look at this. You just can't. Sunglasses are not going to help you no matter how dark the lenses are. You cannot home make your own filter. You have to avoid these eclipse glasses if they're older than three years. There's actually a warning on these. Really? Why? That says to dispose of. It's something with the filter. This wow. paper, this film, 
Mm-hmm. These look like the old 3D glasses that we used to get at movie theaters. Be careful. We can't bend it too much. Um, so you have to wear them uh, at the beginning. You cannot look at the sun for even a couple seconds without these glasses. Wow. Certain things to look at on the glasses because there are fake ones out there. Make sure that it is stamped ISO 12312-2. And, honey, look, you can see ours is dash right, right there. The, stamped mm-hmm. on it. Um, which is the international standard. Make sure it has the manufacturer's name and address printed somewhere on that product. These are really important things. And kids, um, you have to make sure that their eyes are fully covered and they're not looking out the side or underneath the nose piece. So you can't observe this eclipse unless you do this. I believe it's supposed to last for about two and a half minutes depending on where you are across the country. And everybody's converging in this line that they've drawn across the country. So make sure you have these glasses. Please, 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 please do not observe the eclipse without them. I beg you All not right. to do this. All right. Well, let me finish this up uh, sure. with regards to this. I, I think I've talked enough pretty much about radiation. We talked about it last week. And... You have to realize, although radiation is a major issue after a, a nuclear blast, if it's a typical nuclear bomb or atomic bomb, most damage from these weapons are going to be the results of all this energy generated by shock and heat waves. These will kill people at ground zero, honestly, if, uh, well, let's say if uh, you don't have time, distance, or some kind of barrier as a protective factor in in an attack if you don't have any of these on on your side if you're out on the street at ground zero at the moment of detonation the truth is you really don't have anything to worry about ever ever again really but indeed further out there's going to be flying debris falling buildings uh, heat that's so intense that everything uh, may be burnt and so you have to find shelter so the bottom line is shelter 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 and this is something that is very important. The Department of Homeland Security in Guam, no less, because they were targeted or threatened. threatened by North Korea, does have some suggestions for those that are located a few miles from the impact where the, you may have a, a few moments to actually respond, do something. Right. They respond, They'll right? Respond. You know, these people have a few seconds to act before the shockwave arrives. So once the flash of the explosion is noted, turn away because the flash can damage your retinas, as Amy said. And, uh, you know, with regards like to a, the sun, just like the sun solar right. eclipse, right? Can cause blindness. Right. Find a barrier of concrete to lie behind, duck and cover, face down, cover exposed skin, your mouth, your nose as much as you, you possibly can. If you can enter a building, do so because just entering a building will reduce your exposure probably by half. If you can get to a, the basement of a of a building, that'll reduce your exposure to ten percent. Just doing that, even a partial right. basement. Sometimes something's built into the side of a hill, right? So you have partial protection. Exactly right. If you can't do that, then a central room without windows that would be something that you might consider. And the bottom line is, the deeper you go underground, the safer you are. You know, this all reminds me when you're describing this is those films that they used to show us when we were in grade school in the 70s. Oh, yeah. Of the blast. And you would see the test blast go off. And they would have these fake school 
scenario set up with the kids sitting, you know, the, the mannequins right. in the desk and then the teacher up front. And they were, again, all mannequins. But then they would set up this bomb and then the whole thing would just be thrown and blown away. Right. From the shockwave and the heat scared blast. me to death. I had nightmares for years uh, well, after watching these it videos. Can be, it can be. And it, it is really very scary. So the bottom line, deeper you go underground, safer you are, mm -hmm. That that's important. If you're far enough away, by the way, or have some notice of an impending attack, well, you might consider putting some distance between you and and the bomb, bomb's ground zero. I mean, if you can get out of Dodge, get some distance between yourself and ground zero. The explosion has already occurred. Then you want to take a route perpendicular to the anticipated path of the fallout, so you'll be exposed to it for as little time as possible. As possible. Right. Time, it, the amount of time exposed is a big factor with regards to that. Now, remember, it's very possible you'll be at work or at school, and a lot of schools and places of employees, employment do have uh, a plan of action in place and find out if they do. If they don't, encourage them to formulate one. It's pretty important, I think, to ask these questions you may feel silly doing it but it's really very important now if if you are in the path of fallout avoid touching outside walls if you possibly can remove outer clothing wash your skin and hair before entering a shelter if you can do it otherwise you're bringing in radioactivity with you on the fallout right and once inside shut off ventilation systems seal the door, doors and windows until the fallout's no longer a major issue so that, I think, is very, very important. Now, how long do you have to stay in the shelter to avoid dangerous levels of radiation exposure? Well, sometimes it's difficult to estimate the rate of radioactive decay, but soon after the explosion, even in the first hour, the amount will start dropping. Uh, levels drop even more as time goes on, probably by about 90%, eight hours later, by 99% after two days. So if you have a working radio, it's safest to stay inside. Just wait until the authorities say it's okay to go outside. Uh, the guys in Hawaii that are worried, uh, that are preparing people for uh, North Korea and, and its craziness say that, uh, let's see what they say. Oh, here we go. They, we estimate that over 90% of the people on Oahu would survive a 15 kiloton weapon, that's a Hiroshima bomb, detonated in the urban Honolulu yeah, area. Yeah, but you said Oahu that, is the island. But you said no one has a 15 kiloton weapon anymore. Well, they're all much, much bigger. Well, we don't know really what size the bombs are that the North Koreans have. The Russian and American stockpiles have bigger bombs than that. Okay. So let's say that's what actually happened, that a 15 kiloton weapon detonated in over Honolulu. Well, what would happen there is there would be three zones, a severe damage zone, a, light mm -hmm. da a moderate damage zone, and a, a light damage zone. The severe damage zone with a 15-kiloton weapon would be about a half-mile radius from ground zero all the way around. Everything there would essentially be destroyed, and chances for, for survival, very, very low. Moderate damage would go out to from a half-mile to a mile, mm -hmm. so that, that radius. And buildings would possibly fall, and burns, significant burns would occur. But light damage would be seen as little as one to three miles away. So... It's beyond three miles, and, and even in the light damage area, one, one, two, three miles away, they're expecting survivors, and some of them may not need a lot of medical Just depending care. on where if, they were when it if, went especially off. Especially if they're in a what shelter. What their cover right. was. 
what yeah, kind of building they were exactly. in. Exactly. Now, that's not just my opinion. That's the opinions of the uh, physicists at the Lawrence Livermore National Laboratory in California. So, apparently, I think we can rest assured that some people are going to survive. I think that... It's just going to depend on where you are. Are you walking big, on the sidewalk? Right, and how big the bomb is. And essentially, you just have to... And, and it, they're going to be targeting metropolitan areas and military bases. So you just have to decide how important it is to live near a lot of Starbucks, <sighs> or maybe it's time to consider that. Well, I don't drink and, Starbucks anymore; it, it tastes burnt to me. But <laughs> you know, there are just unfortunately just some people that, due to work commitments, they don't really have a choice unless they want to live a couple hours away. Which, man, going back and forth to work every day—that's tough. So I understand why people live in the city. A lot right. of times, it's just job. It's not. It's not necessarily that, you know, you really want to be there. It's the job, the type of job that you're doing, and the that job is available there. Well, I consider you it... You don't always good, have your choice. I think choice. it's a good time to consider acreage in the country. <laughs> Let's talk a, a little bit about water safety. It's still hot out there, and a lot of kids are wanting to be at the lake, at the beach. Gosh, you know, it, a lot of out, outdoor activities and warm so weather. School's about to start, but it's still... Well, depending on where you are, so maybe a few days left of summer. That's right, and and you uh, still have lot, the weekends, folks. Right, <laughs> exactly. And a lot of people go to the lake, the beach, and dunking the local water feature is a refreshing thing. Puts, but it puts a lot of people, especially kids, at risk for injuries. And of these, drowning is one of the most tragic. Now, among those kids that are 14 years old and under, drowning is actually the second most common cause of injury-related death. Car accidents are first, and more, that, more than 800 kids die due to drowning mishaps every year. And thousands more sustain non-fatal injuries, sometimes involving pretty significant brain damage. Now, what puts you at risk for drowning? Well, there are a number of factors, and some of these are very common sense. Poor swimming ability. You can't swim. Your chances of drowning increase. Poor supervision. <laughs> I I'll call that Captain as a Obvious. Genius, a gen- Captain genius Obvious. That out, right? right. Poor supervision. Drowning can occur relatively quickly without a lot of noise, interestingly enough. And we're going to talk about that in a second. Uh, even the presence of lifeguards may not save you on the beach. Unsupervised small children, well, they die sometimes even in the bathtub. Of course, the location is important. Uh, home swimming pools are most likely places that young kids drown, most adults drown in natural boating or wilderness settings. Um, of course, lack of barriers, pool fences that separate the pool from the yard reduce a kid's chance of drowning by 83%. Lack of life jackets if you're going out on boats. 88% of boating deaths by drowning involve people not wearing life vests. Alcohol, adolescents and adults, majority of deaths involve impaired judgment and coordination caused by drinking. And, and occasionally you have people with seizures disorders who may drown, again, often in the bathtub uh, as a result of a seizure disorder. Now, the act of drowning is usually associated with non-swimmers screaming and thrashing about, but that is actually not drowning. That is, I guess, let's call that Mm pre-drowning. This may indeed lead to drowning, but once drowning, the drowning process has begun, it's actually a pretty silent event. I mean, the early stages, very little water actually enters the lung, lungs due to a spasm of the windpipe that seals the airway. You, you naturally, instinctively seal your airway. 
And what that does is it prevents passage of water into the lungs. What it also does is it prevents air from going into the lungs too. As a result, a drowning person is unable to call for help. Is unable to call for help. And within a short period, they lose consciousness, and that leads to a set of reaction, uh, reactions in the body that ends in cardiac arrest. And these reactions will probably appear pretty unremarkable, but they're important to recognize. They include somebody in a forward position with the mouth at or below uh, water level. Mm -hmm. Alternatively, some people are laying back with the head tilted back, at, but you, their mouth is open. They don't seem to be responsive, but their mouth is open and they're in the water laying on their back. This is so scary. Their eyes are often You're gonna open. You're going to give me more nightmares. Their eyes, are, their eyes are often open. Instead of yelling for help, they're gasping. They're oh trying to gasp gosh. for air. They, fla they flail with their arms and legs, but not in a... Coordinated, right. Or, or even a, a thrashing, frantic, right. frantic method. They're right. just flailing in an effort to try to rise out of the water, but they're not doing it effectively. Right. So Well, they're these, not getting any oxygen inside right. of their body, so right. their brain is going to start failing. Now, of course, the, the survival rates depend strongly on the duration that somebody's immersed in water, uh, but... Indeed, the process may still be reversed with prompt and effective resuscitation. I often tell pe I often tell people, well, you know, you're not going to be able to use CPR to really help somebody that's having a severe heart attack. But there are still circumstances where CPR is important in a survival situation. Uh, let's say with an airway obstruction, person swallows something. It's important to know the Heimlich maneuver, and it's important to know CPR in these people. In these circumstances, if you're going to use CPR. You don't just use chest compressions. Ordinarily, the uh, the new recommendations, the, new rec the latest recommendations say chest compressions only unless you are trained in breathing. Mm -hmm. But in a drowning victim, you should use rescue breathing along with chest compressions. So that is something that's that's important. Now, at the beach or in the wilderness, you might encounter a distressed person in the water, and your first response is going to be to jump in and help that victim, but they're going to be flailing around. They're going to be panicking. You're going to, you may injure yourself out trying to help them or possibly become the next victim if you don't remember these words. The words are reach, throw, row, go. And this is the order of the things that you should be doing. You should reach out to the person with a stick or an oar if you happen to be in a boat. Uh, throw the person a lifeline, a life preserver, any other floating object. Uh, row out to the person in a canoe or other boat that's available or go into the water but only when there is no other option. And so that's, let's talk a little bit about what they call the chain of drowning survival. In circumstances where you encounter a person in trouble in the water, you shout for help, you remove the person from the water if you can in a safe manner using reach, throw, row, go. In normal times, you call emergency medical services and remember, begin CPR using chest compressions and rescue breathing. If you have an AED, well, all the better. You can use that as well. Now here, are just let's end the show with a few tips for staying safe in the water. Take swimming lessons. Don't go into swimming pool depth water if you don't know how to swim. And swimming lessons are provided by many municipalities throughout the country, even for young kids. So this is something important. And of course, CPR classes are also provided. These are very important when it comes to aiding drowning victims. 
Keep strict supervision on minors. Kids in the water should always be supervised by a responsible and sober adult. For preschool kids, the adult should be close enough to touch the child and not involved in doing other activities. Of course, you want to have a buddy system. Everyone, even adults, should always swim with another person or persons. On the beach, beware of rip currents and know the meaning of the flags on these supervised beaches. High waves, discolored water, debris, channels of water moving away from shore. These are signs of dangerous conditions. If you're caught in a rip current, don't try to swim directly to shore. Swim parallel to shore until the rip current lets you go. You don't feel the pressure from that. And then diagonally swim towards the beach. Uh, Foam noodles or inflatable toys, they do not take the place of life jackets. So be firm about using the right equipment for boating, especially for adults. Uh, Pool fencing saves lives. If you have four feet high fencing with a high latch, that's the safest way to prevent small kids from falling into the water. Uh, Be aware of the weather. Thunder showers often whip up the water with strong winds and increase the risk for drowning. Be physically fit enough to do the exertion that you're planning to do. Swimming involves exertion. Make sure you're up to the challenge. Avoid alcohol. Any water activity becomes dangerous if you are drinking. So please do not drink and go in the water. Um, don't hyperventilate. I mean, you go. kids will take deep breaths to see who can stay underwater the longest. Well, if you try real hard, you may actually allow, allow yourself to black out from spending too much time oh holding gosh. your breath. I so used to do, do that in the pool do, all the time. Well, don't do when that. When I was a kid. Stop it. I don't, I'm not doing it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> if you have a seizure disorder, use a shower, not a bathtub. That's important. And in the wilderness, beware of river crossings. Fast-moving water can knock you off your feet, even if it's less than a foot deep. So make that summer trip to the beach or, or the lake memorable in a good way by knowing how to recognize and treat near drownings. Believe me, you'll be glad you did. Well, that's all the time we have for this go-round. You sure? I don't have just a couple more minutes. Not even a couple more. Wait. Okay, well, real quickly, we're going to be in Lexington, Kentucky on August 25th, 26th, 27th, 2017. We're going to be in Chattanooga at the RK Prepper Show. Uh, uh, September 2nd and 3rd. The 3rd is a suture class. We're going to be in Knoxville at an RK Prepper Show. Saturday and Sunday, the 9th and 10th of September 2017. And we'll have a suture class at 9.30 a.m. on Sunday, September 10th. Both of those are RK Prepper Shows. Check out rkpreppershow.com. And the one in Lexington, Kentucky is an outdoor expo, right? Yes, ah. yes. And uh, medical classes page on uh, doomandbloom.net. You can right. find out all that information and more. Awesome. If you're in the area, make sure you come by and say, say hi. hi. <laughs> this has been the Survival Medicine Hour with the lovely Nurse Amy and the Old, old, old doctor. I'll say something nice. You're a good guy. Well, what I'll say nice is that we really appreciate your listening to our show. We sure do. Have a wonderful week. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. You've been listening to the Doom and Bloom Hour with medical preparedness experts Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. Check out our website at www.doomandbloom.net for hundreds of Informative articles about survival medicine, gardening, natural remedies, medical supplies, and lots of other good stuff. Contact us, send your email to drbonespodcast at aol.com or use the contact form on the main page of the website. See you next week.